This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal, and I'm Jess Khanam. And this is Jamal Dajani. Well, Jamal, there is a crisis right now, as you know, and we have lots of breaking news. We're going to be covering the breaking news with the uh, tragic assassination of Jamal Khashoggi. There's a lot of news to cover. We're going to break it down in a lot of detail today because this was such a horrific tragedy. And I I know some people say that I am jumping the gun a little bit by saying more definitively that uh, he's, uh, he's been assassinated. But just within the last few minutes, even Donald Trump has admitted that probably Jamal Khashoggi has been killed. So it's being leaked out slowly but surely. We're going to cover all of the facts of the case. We have a timeline that you're going to go over. But more importantly, we have to talk about its impact. We have to ask a very difficult question, Jamal. Who benefits That's it. F- from something like this? And this is uh, our title, really, Khashoggi's murder, who benefits? Who benefits? Because unfortunately, and people also, do benefit. who gives that license to kill? The license to kill. So uh, let's go back, because this is really important to answer this, uh, to answer this question, Jess, when we talk about who benefits. And we're going to connect the dots yes. to our listeners here and our viewers on Facebook Live. So June 2017, this is when Khashoggi leaves uh, Saudi Arabia for Washington, D.C. So he no longer feels comfortable. He he no longer feels comfortable. MBS is the de facto kind of leader of the country by that time. Well, and also if you remember, uh, Mohammed bin Salman imprisons his own own cousins. Takes money from them, kills one of them. them. One is killed. That's right. Under mysterious circumstances. So one of his interviews that he had shortly when he came to Washington, D.C., and I'm kind of paraphrasing, and he's talking about uh, Mohammed bin Salman. He says, as we speak today, there are Saudi intellectuals and journalists. Now nobody will dare to speak and criticize the reforms initiated by the crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman. This is one of his very first interviews. Then later on, he he ups the ante and, and he s- says something else that is very direct and very critical uh, when uh, the big story, if you, rem- if you recall, about allowing women to drive. He right. criticizes the crown prince and he talks, well, this is not the big story. The big story, which is the Noam Project, the futuristic city. If you remember that future. The robotic they, city, yeah. They, they wanted to invest half a trillion dollar in building it. He said, what if it goes wrong, it could bankrupt the country. So little by little, he was upping the ante, right? I'm just going to go through a quick timeline because it's very important and really connects the dots for, for all of you. September 28th, uh, this is the... Uh, uh, this is when the whole thing started. And, and, and by the way, I don't think it all s- started right there. I believe that Khashoggi was set up by the U.S., by the Saudi embassy, embassy in Washington, in D.C., DC yeah. because he could have gone there and he could have asked for his divorce papers and he could have had those notarized or whatever paperwork. But it started, let's say, he goes to... Uh, September 28, he goes to uh, the Saudi consulate in Istanbul to obtain a document attesting he had divorced his ex-wife. Right. He needed that. Why didn't he do this in Washington, D.C.? He could have easily done he it in D.C. He could have easily, you know. So he could he, have gone to any Saudi consulate. So he goes there. He wanted to marry uh, his uh, fiancée. Who's a Turkish national. Who's a Turkish national. Uh, her name is Sengiz. And so... He describes that his first meeting was positive, or in a way, the consul sta- staff were cordial to him. Of that course, w- I have to say this is the cardinal sin number one. Because w- that as, would make me nervous. As we all know, once you set foot inside a consulate or, or in an embassy, you are on the sovereign ground of that country. That's right. And he's a Saudi citizen. I believe, you know, he went there. Now they realize now he they finally kind of trapped him. He uh, he got set up by, I think, the embassy in Washington, D.C. He's now in Istanbul. They can contact their boss in Riyadh and say, hey, guess what? Who walked in today? Guess who came here today? Who came here today? So they tell him, I mean, this should be a very simple thing. 
you know, just notarizing some paperwork, they tell him come back in few days. See, that's suspicious. From October 2nd, they tell him, I'm, I'm sorry, from September 28th, they tell him to come back on October 2nd. Six give days them, later. Giving yeah. them almost a week. So accompanied by his fiancée who waited outside the consulate. And this is when we know from the recordings that now everyone has been uh, watching on television. He entered the building at uh, 1.14 p.m. Istanbul time or 10.14 GMT. And he instructs his fiancée to contact Yasin Akteh, a close aide to the Turkish president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, in case anything goes wrong. And by the way, he gives her his cell phone, his iPhone. So, so yeah. he knew yeah. some, somewhere deep in his heart he, he didn't feel comfortable. Yet he went in. And, and three hours pass. He's not out. She goes in the consulate, asks the staff about Khashoggi, Jamal Khashoggi, at which point she's told that he had already left the building through the back door. I mean, why would you go in a consulate from the front door and they let you leave from the Makes back no door? sense. Yeah. Makes no sense. Makes no sense. So this is this is exactly the time when now we know he he disappeared, right? Three hours, and of course she makes her contacts. Wednesday, the second day. Uh, after she contacted, uh, I assume, the uh, Turkish police, she contacted uh, his editors at the Washington Post. We, start we started to hear something about the story. And then the, uh, so the authorities issue a statement confirming his disappearance, but insist that he had left the building. There was a statement, an official statement, something that said Mr. Khashoggi visited the consulate to request paperwork related to his mar marital status and exited shortly thereafter. I have I've collected all these different, uh, uh, you know, press releases and so forth. So now the um, the Saudis they start denying because they weren't expecting some but, but noise a, was going to but, be made. But wait a minute, before you go on, it's an also important to say that. It is precisely at that point that people began to say in the media and other places, hey, wait a minute, we don't buy this story. So the, 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 the narrative that the Saudis put out was immediately confronted by journalists in the United States and in Europe and, and in other places of the world. People didn't buy it because on its face, Jamal, it makes no sense. As you said, you go in the front and somehow you come out the back. I mean, what kind of story? It doesn't make sense. That you exit. I mean, if, a, if they a, had a, an and he doesn't contact his fiance. No one can find him. He just disappears. Disappears nobody, in thin air. Nobody believed it. So now we know afterwards, and this is the gruesome part because we didn't know this part earlier. You know, until we started hearing about the recordings, and we'll talk about the timing and so forth. So, so we learn, and this is from. The Turkish media, and I, I believe that the Turkish security started to leak these different stories to the I, media. You're right. Because I don't think this information was in the hands of the Turkish media. It wasn't, uh, you know, with any, any journalists. It had to do with their security apparatus. And so we started to receive different snippets, people making, making a lot of noise. And then initially they say, no, no, we know, we have... We have, number one, from all of our surveillance cameras, this guy never left the building. Right. He didn't leave from the front door. He didn't leave from the back door. He didn't he, leave. He didn't leave, period. Period. That was the first thing. Then after that, we start hearing different things. We started to hear that, well, you know, there is a recording. And I think the Turkish security was very sensitive about basically saying how did they obtain the recordings and there was this no they made up a nonsense story. story about his uh, eye watch and whatever which we know it was impossible because this would have had to be recorded while he was getting tortured and it would have had to be uploaded to iCloud and somebody would have to hack into his iCloud account right right so they say we have this nobody was buying this we know every single country spies on, on embassies. We know that the United States in Moscow 
few Spies years ago. on everything, right? No, no. The United States uh, Embassy in Moscow, remember, was a few years ago. Was completely bugged. Was completely bugged. It had to be totally torn down. Right. I mean, it was bugged as they were constructing it. So, it, you know, the, Turkey always had had has had uh, issues with Saudi Arabia. So, obviously, we know that they have had bugs in the uh, consulate. Now, we know the story. We're talking about that minutes after he entered the consul general's office, Mohammed uh, Al-Utaybi, that's the name of the Saudi consul general in Istanbul, two agents seized Mr. Khashoggi almost immediately and began to beat and torture him, eventually cutting off his fingers. This is coming from senior Turkish official officials who were describing the audio recordings. But Jamal, look and at... And you could hear on the recordings the consul general saying, do this outside, you'll put me, well, you'll put me in trouble. This is crazy. It is Just, crazy. I mean, the guy was getting tortured. Yeah, but look at the message, Jamal. They cut off his fingers and he's a journalist. Look at the symbolism exactly. involved in the message that it's sending to everybody that as a journalist, you, you, your livelihood is based on your hands, right? Because that's how you write. That's how you communicate. And while he was, apparently while he was still conscious, they cut off his fingers. But Jamal, the story gets much more gruesome because as it turns out, if the reports are true, they actually beheaded him. And in addition to beheading him, they also dismembered him because one of the things that we didn't talk about in the timeline is that there were two planes that flew from Riyadh into Istanbul and there were 15 Saudi officials that also included a medical forensic expert surgeon, a forensic, the, the top forensic examiner for the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia who just happened, Jamal, to be carrying a bone saw with him. Now, just look at that if you understand what conclusions you might draw from 15 people flying into uh, Istanbul from Riyadh, a medical forensic expert, a bone saw, and Saudi security services. Do you think that they're going there to welcome Jamal Khashoggi, to uh, welcome him back? And then within a couple of hours after Jamal Khashoggi enters, these 15 people leave the, the uh, Saudi consulate in Istanbul. So, so we posed the question early on. Who benefits? Who benefits? From and, this tragedy. And, and this is very important, uh, Jess, because we have to look at a couple of things, right? Of course, we know... MBS thought he was benefiting because he wants to silence all opposition. And he has managed to do that. He has managed to do that. He has been and doing also, it. And also, the other question I want to add is who has been sanctioning all these killings? When Saudi Arabia bums Yemen to the Stone Age, who's, who's when, they target, when they target children and women in a bus, when he imprisons his uh, cousins, when he puts in jail, imprisons the prime minister of Lebanon. That's right. And, and no one... Prime Minister Hariri. Yeah, That's prime right. Prime Minister Hariri, imagine. And he gets away with all of this. And, and yes. So, yeah. so for him, he, he thought, you know, Trump loves me. I can, uh, you know, I'm doing great, bus a lot of business with the United States. I've, I'm received in the in Washington D.C. with the red carpet. I get on 60 Minutes. I'm, I'm, I get on 60 Minutes. I'm in Silicon Valley. I have the New York Times, Thomas Friedman, right. fawning all over him in an editorial, which I posted on my Facebook page, right. because in case we have sh some people have short memory to see what Thomas Friedman was talking about him, the reformer. Now this is. Your young reformer prince who imprisons his cousins, who kills the opposition, who, uh, who bombs uh, Yemen to the Stone Age. Why shouldn't he get, a why shouldn't he get away with killing one dissident uh, journalist? Of course, it was so, wrong because his fiancée was waiting outside. So we should let, we, we hope that Thomas Friedman is seen for the, 
the opinion writer that he is for the New York Times. And Thomas Friedman needs to come clean, Jamal, on this because he's been celebrating MBS not just uh, with one uh, opinion piece, multiple articles Thomas Friedman has been writing about this. But we'll come back to that. We'll come back to this. But I want to go back to connecting the dots. So we so ha- April, April, uh, I mean, sorry, <laughs> October 12. Yes, a okay. few days ago. October 12. Andrew Craig Brunson, who is an American pastor who was basically imprisoned after the failed coup d'etat in 2016. In Turkey. In Turkey. Yeah. Uh, which uh, an attempt against Recep Tayyip Erdogan. All of a sudden he gets released. Right. This is not a coincidence. No, it's not. October 12th. And by October 13, he's sitting in the White House. Shaking hands and praying with President Trump. Exactly. This <laughs> is, ladies and gentlemen, not a coincidence. That's why I'm, when I'm talking about who benefits, all of a sudden, there was a deal struck. Recep Tayyip Erdogan, you think Trump is a wheeler dealer. He is a far more wheeler dealer and a very intelligent person. Then make... Then... It, it, just less than um, 24 hours afterwards, the lira, which has hit rock bottom, bottom, goes up. Goes up. The Turkish stock market starts climbing. Way up. Yeah. We're lifting the sanctions on Turkey. Yes. And this guy is sitting in the White House. He was sitting in a jail. He was accused of cons- uh, being uh, a, a co-conspirator of the coup. Uh, of the coup, and they said, "Okay, we're going to commute." You know, the Trump administration all of a sudden successfully secure his release, and you know, we're talking about now removing all economic sanctions and tariffs that were placed on Turkey. So if this is not... I think Turkey benefits. If this is not somebody who... <laughs> the question of who benefits because of this and why. Wait, I but tell wait, you why. But, but before you say why, Jamal, it, it's really important because you said something very, very important, which people really need to realize how politically strategic and smart Erdogan is. He saw this as a tremendous opportunity, this tragedy, and he is using it in a profoundly strategic way to benefit the Turkey and the Turkish economy. And that's all within a, you know, a couple of days. It's- and you have to look at also how uh, Turkey has played its cards, Very- the, way, the way they uh, released the information or leaked the information. Bits and pieces. And they didn't take it. Like, for example, no one, and I I know for, I shouldn't say for a fact, but we have strong suspicion that the recording is a legitimate recording. Absolutely. And that Trump listened to the recording. The CIA has listened to the recording. The NSA has listened to it. That's why Trump now comes out and says, you know, he has a strong belief that Yeah, that's the breaking news. That, Trump so, says it looks like he was killed. That was that's the yeah. break. So that's when, just when happened. to come up with a statement like this, that there means he is heard damning it. evidence. It hasn't been released to the public in in a way in its uh, you know in, uh, it has been released in snippets and we read about it but we haven't heard because I'm, i know i don't, it, it, it I don't will cause chill to your bones to hear someone getting killed getting the, his fingers cut off and sewed and hacked while he was alive because this is what they're telling you so they're not releasing this and they're holding this because again uh, the question how turkey will benefit turkey got the sanctions lifted. Turkey, his economy now is on the upswing after it was falling, you know, all the way down. And now they are not upsetting the Saudis all the way. They are not trying to kind of attack Saudi Arabia because they have more than 50,000 Saudis at any time as tourists spending money. They don't want to see a reaction like to them to happen like what happened with, with Canada. Right. So they maintain that relationship. They get to milk it. And Donald Trump, and this is we go now to October 16. Who benefits next? So October 16, 
This is uh, surprise you know, of surprises. Uh, Mike Pompeo, our Secretary of State, he goes to Saudi Arabia, spends 48 hours. You see him on TV all smiling with MBS, comes back. He's asked about it. He said, no, I don't want to talk about it. The Saudis will be investigating it. We're leaving it to the Saudis. So he's not very, he doesn't come out uh, criticizing Saudi Arabia. And then guess what? $100 million get transferred immediately to the United States from Saudi Arabia. For, Sir- for, for Syria. For the American efforts to stabilize areas in Syria liberated from the Islamic State. So immediately, I mean, the, again, this timing, the timing of the release of Andrew Brunson, October 12, then October 16, we get the $100 million. And of course, Trump, and whenever he talks about Saudi Arabia, because, you know, we, he's getting calls from Congress and the media, let's sever ties. He says, no, no, we're, we have $110 billion. But that deal isn't done yet, Jamal. That's, he, he's, he's actually uh, uh, misrepresenting the reality. He keeps talking about this. $110 billion deal where the Saudis are going to buy wep- you know, more weapons of death and destruction and war from the United States. But, it, you know, that deal is not closed. No, it, it's not closed. It, it, it's not signed, sealed, and delivered yet. No, and that's but why he But Trump said, is going to use that's it. that's why he says uh, we can't, you know, sever our ties. Uh, we'll lose jobs. We have... Uh, you know, to think about the, the, the jobs at the, but Jamal, about the can we, can we? U.S. economy. But now uh, I'm trying to think of the proper words to use. But, you know, they got MBS by you know where. That's right. So they're, both, sque- they're squeezing him. Donald Trump and Recep Tayyip Erdogan, they have now squeezed MBS in a pickle. And he's not going to say no. He is not going to, you know, now they can say at any time, well, you know, we're, we can, we have to sever our ties, but they are not going to do that. What you're seeing on TV, all these calls from senators and congressmen, it's a charade. It is a charade. The United States is not going to sever its ties with Saudi Arabia. There are billions of dollars at stake. You have a military base in Saudi Arabia. You have an air force base in Saudi Arabia. We use, we have been using Saudi Arabia as a buffer zone uh, to face an Iran threat. And so now what they can do is basically, and this is what Donald Trump has said few days before this happened. He said, I told the king of Saudi Arabia Without us, you won't last for two weeks. Yeah. And then this thing happens now. What is the king going to say? What is MBS is going to say now when they have all this evidence? Well, I'll tell you what he's going to say, Jamal. And you and I know exactly what's going to happen. And some of this information was just leaked in the last hour. They just have announced that they believe that a former diplomat, uh, Abdulaziz, who was stationed in London and is head of personal security for Mohammed bin Salman, was pivotal, I put that word in quotes, pivotal, in the, quote, disappearance of uh, Jamal Khashoggi. In other words, what's going to happen, Jamal? We know this story, right? They're going to find a fall guy. They'll find a couple of people. Yeah, this is Abdulaziz Muttarab. They're going to say he was the fall guy. He went rogue. He did this on his own. And we have done our investigation. This was a rogue group of 15 people who, ru- who flew on private Saudi jets, by the way, and are all connected to the royal family in some way, that they went rogue, something went bad, and they killed, unfortunately killed Jamal Khashoggi. It, they didn't mean it, and these guys will eventually, I, I hate to say this because we're really talking about human beings. And we're going to get to the human story more because really what we're talking about is a, is a murder and an assassination of a journalist. We have to keep that in mind. But they're going to find some scapegoats in Saudi Arabia. Well, they already did. I can tell you, Maher Abdul Aziz Mutrib is toast. He's going to get executed. Yeah. So, uh, and he's uh, not an ordinary person, by the way. 
And he has been seen uh, often traveling with the Saudi crown pr uh, prince. He was uh, with him in the United States. He's been photographed uh, next to him. And he's the one who was photographed entering the Saudi consulate in Istanbul just hours before Jamal Khashoggi disappeared. And he's, uh, he's, he, now they're throwing his name and uh, all around the Turkish uh, Security has identified him, identified him as one of the 15 men, but he as as the key person. Pivotal, yes. You know, and so they uh, his picture is all over the press. They have his passport. It was first published <laughs> on uh, Sabah. This is a Turkish pro-government Turkish newspaper, and was his picture was distributed to international news outlets by the Associated Press. This was again intentional. See, they're playing, I said, they are playing, the Turks are playing their cards. They're giving you bits and pieces. And so the man, again, has been identified as Meher Abdul Aziz, uh, who has a relationship with Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, and he's been traveling with him. And uh, this footage is believed to be a key, key piece of evidence connecting Khashoggi's disappearance, with, and likely death, which we know it is not likely. It's more it's, than likely. Uh, it's more than likely. To MBS, he's the he's the connection. No, he's not the connection, Jamal. He's the scapegoat. Well, now he is the scapegoat. But this is how they connected MBS because this is a companion. Jamal, I have a question for you. Sure. So we sure. show we show this as a charade. Does anything in Saudi Arabia happen by accident at this level? Does anything, can 15 high-level security people, can the head of Saudi forensic medicine come on private royal jets and come into Istanbul and go rogue and, and MBS not know about this? Does anything happen in Saudi Arabia without the security uh, apparatus of Saudi Arabia knowing about it? Absolutely not. And that's why it was a big joke and this was when the spin, that's why I, I knew that the Turks have cut a deal with Donald Trump when he, his first statement, when he said, yeah, yeah if a killing happened, it happened by rogue killers, starting to use the word rogue, There's all of a sudden rogue, rogue killers. There's nothing then rogue. Then you knew that he had the evidence. He knew that the Saudis uh, killed him. And then he was trying to cover up uh, for his friend MBS, try to salvage that relationship. Remember also, this is uh, the man who bragged, and I'm talking about every, uh, MBS, about his relationship to, with uh, Jared Kushner. This yeah. is his buddy. And also, we should talk a little bit about the connection and the investments of Donald Trump we will. and the Kushners with Saudi no, Arabia. No, we're going to get to that. There's a few other steps. Our first step is to do a station announcement. You're listening to KPOO in San Francisco. We're at 89.5 FM, and this is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. So there's a couple of steps, Jamal, before we get there. I want to talk about two things because we're, we're doing a political analysis on this, but we ha also have to say at the human level that a, that a human being with an intention in his heart to get a certificate so that he could be married to his, uh, his fiancée was brutally, brutally, brutally murdered. And the way in which the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and MBS perpetrated this assassination, this brutal murder, was intended to send a message. And the message that it sends to every person who believes in democracy in the Arab world the message that it sends to every journalist in Saudi Arabia and in the Arab world, and the message that it sends to anybody is that if you are critical, if you are a journalist, if you believe in something that is antithetical to what the crown prince believes, we're going to come after you. And we're going to come after you with impunity. Because what this dance that Donald Trump has done, Jamal, is essentially given MBS a license to kill. That's what it is. He has given MBS with all of this crazy rhetoric that, that has come from Donald Trump, from Monk, Mike Pompeo, and from the halls of Washington, D.C. power. They're basically giving MBS the authority, the power, 
the permission to kill whomever he wants anytime. Anybody who disagrees with him, this is the license to kill. It used to be, Jamal, that the United States was, even though the United States we know has done some you know pretty awful things, at least on the world stage, when something like this would happen, they would condemn it. Not only are they not condemning it, you have the president of the United States saying— Making up excuses. —being the PR shill for Mohammed bin Salman. Donald Trump is not the president anymore, Jamal. He's the PR expert and shilling for MBS and giving him cover. Do you realize how damaging that is to a free press, to a democracy, to reform in the Arab world. I think this is really catastrophic, Jamal. You've done this. I've done this. I've spoken with our friends and colleagues in Saudi Arabia and in the Gulf. Everybody is shaking about this, Jamal. Yeah. People mean, are I mean, horrified by this. Uh, Khashoggi, by the way, of course, he comes from a, a powerful family, a Big well-known family. family. And he worked with the king for m- kings and the and many kings over the years. And princes. And, and princes. And, of course, he was a reporter for the Washington Post. Absolutely. So imagine just an average journalist. Uh, they're toast. Imagine just an a journalist working for a Saudi publication, Al-Uqaz, and, and, and others, uh, and how they do how how are they going to feel about saying one word of criticism let alone a journalist how about just the average saudi citizen because the one thing they're not talking about right now jamal is that mohammed bin salman has arrested thousands of people he's executed hundreds of people he arrested as we said earlier 200 of his relatives took a hundred billion dollars from his relatives, held them captive at the Ritz-Carlton in Riyadh. He has been decimating and uh, Yemen and has been destroying Yemen be from before to before the Stone Age right now, killing children, using American weapons to destroy this historical and amazing uh, country of, of of Yemen and the city of Sanaa. I mean, the guy... Ancient civilization yeah, of Hadramut. Yeah. The guy is a murderous thug, and he is getting the blessings of the of the United States through Donald Trump to continue his murderous rampage. And in return, he gets a, Donald Trump gets his $100 million. He may get an arms deal. But what does it say about what's happening in, in, in the rest of the world to people who actually believe in free speech? It's, it, it's like the knife in the heart of, of democracy everywhere in the Arab world. That's right. And uh, for the record, and I'm paraphrasing, actually I'm not paraphrasing, I'm reading Donald Trump's tweet. Yeah. Because I want to comment on this. And this is just uh, from uh, October 16. He, at 6.15 a.m. to be specific. (laughs) For the record, this is what Donald Trump said. I have no financial interest in Saudi Arabia and then between brackets or Russia for that matter. Any suggestion that I have is just more fake news in Do you caps. want to know why that's such a lie? In, you know. Okay, but let's let, let's let's break that down, Jamal. He says that he doesn't have any financial interest in Saudi Arabia and Russia. But what he doesn't say is that Saudi Arabia and Russia have financial interests in him. The Saudis have purchased hundreds of millions of dollars of inflated property from Donald Trump. They have purchased floors in Trump Tower. Well, I mean, the relationship goes way back. I mean, if you look at his statement, it would uh, it would be uh, it's a lie. Easier to digest if Trump hadn't bragged publicly in the past about how much Saudis have spent On money him. buying his condominiums. That's right. I mean, hundreds I'm sorry, of millions I'm, of dollars. I, 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 you know, I'm not senile. I remember him standing in front of cameras bragging. I mean, this is this is this is no, the president that we have. He he lies, and then he believes his own lie, and then he thinks that you have a short-term memory or long-term no, memory. No, but you know what? But Jim- I recall him yeah. standing bragging publicly in the past about how much Saudis have spent buying his condominium. 
And this is, uh, and this we is, know this the is, Russians. We, we can pull that those right. statements, you know, to begin with. Then, of course, we can go way back to his uh, relationship in Saudi Arabia. If we talk about the 1990s, uh, you know, his relationship, you know, with uh, the Saudi billionaire Prince Al Walid bin Talal, who who bought Trump's prize yacht on the cheap from the property developers' creditors when he was on the cusp of personal bankruptcy. That's right. Then also a few years later, one of Trump's lenders forced him to sell the Plaza Hotel, you know, his jewel in New York I remember City. That. Yeah, I remember that. When he was all in debt to Al-Walid. Al-Walid, right. So when he says he has no business relationship with no, the no, Saudis, but listen, you what the hell is he talking about? Here's what he's talking about, Jamal. This is why he's... You have to watch his words carefully. He says he lies. By the way, he does on lie. an average of three lies per day. Three lies per day at minimum. He says he doesn't own any financial interest in Russia or Saudi Arabia. The lie is is that the Saudis and the Russians have financial interest in his business in Trump International. They bought condos, as you said. They've bought. I mean, this is the whole basis. They bought the hotel from they him. They bought hotels. But this is how the money laundered. They bought at these inflated prices. So for him to say it's disingenuous, not, to say the not, least. Not, of course, uh, not to mention the president and his son-in-law, Jared Kushner. I, I think we have to talk also about— Also decided to make Saudi Arabia a linchpin for their policy in the Middle East. But, Jamal, we have to talk about that because this— branding of MBS. You know who the person is responsible for the the shiny uh, patina, the reformer image? You know who the primary person behind helping MBS reform himself in the media? It's been Jared Kushner. Jared Kushner is in the White House, the person most responsible for this fake faux image of MBS as a reformer, as a progressive, and as the person who's going to bring Saudi Arabia into the 21st century. It's Jared Kushner. In fact, Jared, we, we said, we reported on this months ago how Jared Kushner and MBS, right. their bromance, they stayed up till four o'clock in the morning. They had these long talks about, you know, the future. It's Jared Kushner who pushed MBS to push the Palestinians I mean, into is, the fake I mean, here is peace. someone who's lacking full security clearance, and we, were, we talked about right. this for many months, and any diplomatic experience. He was the one who lobbied the crown prince directly in early 2017 to secure what was fancifully and inaccurately touted as the $110 billion arms sale. That's right. Most of which... Uh, had been agreed a year earlier, and the bulk of which still hasn't been completed. That's why you hear Donald Trump talking about the $110 billion. Right. He oh, doesn't absolutely. Wanna, he doesn't want to risk the $110 billion. But Jamal, don't you and think— And shortly after that transaction was arranged, just Trump, of course, what did he do? He visited Saudi Arabia. Right. And soon after that, the Saudis announced that they would invest $20 billion in an, an infrastructure fund— managed by Blackstone Group LP. Well, guess what? The New York-based firm had financed several of Kushner's family's deals. 100%. Out of all these groups and all these financial institutions Blackstone. in New York City they chose alone, Blackstone. I'm not talking about the United States, they saw all these picked Blackstone Group Limited Partnership, LPs, that's what it stands for. It's a New York-based firm which had financed several of Kushner's family's deals. And its chairman, Stephen Schwartzman, sat on the president's business advisory council. This is a private equity firm. This is, this is what, uh, right. you know, this is, this is all public. Right. I'm not inventing this, Jess. We don't believe in conspiracy theories. No, no, you don't. We read, we read the facts. Jamal, there's and, no conspiracy. And, you know, our motto, follow the money. Follow the money. There's no conspiracy here, Jamal. We're following the money. We see that Jared Kushner was behind all of these meetings with the Russian, uh, the, the Russian oligarch contacts who, who disrupted our elections and unduly influenced the presidential elections. We see that Jared Kushner is behind the meetings with MBS 
And which, his, by the way, I mean, some of these meetings, which we have to say, this is when he didn't have any security clear, right. clearance, and yet he made a secretive trips. Some of these trips were secretive. There was one documented, uh, documented secretive trip that he made to Riyadh, which he later described was when people were pushing him that he later described the visit as an effort to brainstorm Middle East strategies with Mohammed bin Salman. So Mohammed bin Salman has been the guru for their plans. But let me tell you something else. In the Middle East. Yeah, but speaking of uh, Jared Kushner and security clearances, this is also reported by the New York Times. So Kushner didn't have the security clearance but we know, for example, that it was Jared Kushner who tipped Mohammed bin Salman that there was a possible coup attempt by his, some of his relatives, That's right. which a week later led to the arrest of his 200 relatives in the Ritz-Carlton and him squeezing $100 billion. So Kushner created and, you know, basically facilitated and you know, the most egregious of security uh, uh, faux pas. He didn't have a security clearance, and he gave the king, you know, basically top-secret information that the CIA knew about a possible coup against MBS, who is not beloved, by the way, despite the way he's being packaged. So, Jamal, it seems like Jared Kushner is behind a lot of these awful things that are happening right now. A lot of things. Yeah. Not just not not just with Saudi Arabia, but I want to go back now where we're at now. Where are we at now? So now we know, uh, sadly, uh, Jamal Khashoggi was brutally and gruesomely executed, yeah, executed. by Saudi henchmen at the behest of MBS. That's a reasonable conclusion. We Absolutely. Know, we know that on October 12th, the... Trump administration successfully secured the release of Andrew Andrew Brunson. Andrew Brunson, he was uh, he is an American pastor who was arrested in 2016 after the failed coup d'état attempt against Recep Tayyip Erdogan. This is not a coincidence. No, it's not. We know that on October 16, our Secretary of State Pompeo goes to Riyadh, spends 48 hours. On his arrival, the minute he arrived, a hundred million dollar wire transfer to the State Department goes to the State <laughs> Department, basically f uh, to help American efforts efforts to stabilize areas in Syria liberated from the Islamic State. And so, what else? Ben who who benefits? So you don't have to. This, as as we've said, Jamal, this is not a conspiracy theory. This is just again common sense. If you have the big picture, you understand that people unfortunately benefit from this brutal execution of Jamal Khashoggi. Um, that the big picture, looking at big picture geopolitics, it's not a conspiracy. This is really something that is shaking the very ground upon which the United States at least superficially has said for years, Jamal, that they support reform in the Arab world, that they support dem democracy in the Arab world, that they support freedom of the press. But actually what President Trump is doing is undermining the very foundation of any kind of democratic reform in the Arab world. He set it back I, I, generations by this, by this license to kill. Well, I also want to comment uh, because we have a few minutes left, and I want to also comment on the reaction in the Arab world. Yeah, or, let's talk or about the that. lack of reaction. Well, in the, the, Arab. The, the lack of reaction. People uh, are afraid, Jamal. The lack of re. Well, I'm talking about on the government level, not just the. You know, we hear now uh, global condemnation. You know, uh, all over in Europe and so forth, but you have very little, if any. Nothing. You know, like some of actually the statements that were made uh, were, oh, we stand by Saudi Arabia. Right. But by and large, most Arab leaders have totally been silent, silent, ignored this travesty. And why? I tell you why. Let's make it. Or you want to tell me? That's easy. Two reasons. Money and money and fear. Uh, yeah. And, and also and fear. money but also because they practice the same thing, the same thing. 
you know, those countries, if we want to talk about Egypt and we use examples, the attack on journalists, attack on the freedom of the press, uh, their, their prisons are full of but, but people on, who but honest, had criticized but honestly, the government. But honestly, Jamal, is there any, uh, you know, if you think about the region, we have to be very honest about this and that some variant of, of this is true in all of the countries in the Middle East, in the Arab world, tragically, that people are afraid to speak. Journalists are afraid to report. People are afraid to criticize. Now, ironically, I will say that of all the places where there is some limited freedom to speak your mind is the place that is most hammered and occupied, which is occupied Palestine. You do have some limited ability uh, for people to speak, although they do it with the, the possibility of grave risk even there. But it is kind of ironic that the country that is most occupied right now and most under the thumb of uh, Israeli apartheid practices, you do see a little of it. Yeah, well, uh, I, you, we said two things. We said uh, most of these leaders, uh, they also have issues themselves. They have skeletons in their closets. Yeah, that's true. And that's why they are not going to say anything. Say anything. And then the other part, they are dependent on Saudi, Saudi money. Yes. And so they have to stay silent. Otherwise, they lose financial aid. Well, look at the two countries in particular, Egypt and Jordan, receive massive amounts of money. Well, I don't know about Jordan, but definitely uh, Egypt receives a lot of money from Saudi Arabia. And uh, sadly, uh, I've heard a statement coming from the Palestinian president, Mahmoud Abbas, saying that he basically stands by Saudi Arabia. So he's getting a lot so, of money, too. So without, without looking even into, the, into what happened, they are willing to make these statements. This is early on, even before we have all right. the, all the right. evidence. But he cannot afford. I mean, this is one example of many. Lebanon, they, by the way, they issued a, a similar statement. They cannot afford to be critical of Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And that's why they either remain silent or they'll say, okay, we're with the government. But and, that's why and, we and say that's why we say license to kill. This 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 travesty, this brutal ex execution of Jamal Khashoggi is really a message that is being spread over the loudspeakers all over the Arab world in the Middle East. And not just the Arab world in, in Middle East, Jamal, it's sending a message to every dictator, to every thug, to every despot that if you play ball with us, meaning the United States, you can kill your journalists, you can kill your dissidents, you can kill your people who are advocating or desiring of change. And I have to say also, this is not uh, defending MBS or giving him slack, but this is not something it's new. It's not new. I mean, if you go back, and new. I've been covering the Middle East for many years, and I remember, and this is just taking people, uh, me people's memory back during the height of the war, the, 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 of George W. Right. Uh, war on terror. Saudi Arabia took that statement and ran with it. Of course they did. So uh, for a while, they were... Uh, either uh, arresting dissidents or they were killing them and you just the headlines would be like this all the police forces or security forces raided this house and killed seven people and why because they are members of al-qaeda there were there was no proof of whatsoever that these people were terrorists or whatever and, no, and they killed many, with impunity and this happened in many um, most of these things happened actually in the al-ahwaz area and uh, areas that are populated by Shiites. That's right. And uh, all of a sudden, all what you can do at the time is just say, all they, what they had to do at the time is just say that they are terrorists and people believe them. So basically, Jamal, what's going to happen, just to wrap it up, because we have a few other things we want to talk about. We only have a few minutes left. Basically, MBS is going to get away with murder, full stop. There will be no accountability. There will be no um, there will be no legitimate process of investigation that uh, this will you know they're going to issue I believe a fake report within 24 hours maybe even by tomorrow sometime and um, the messaging the implications of this is going to set back uh, the region by a generation or more I believe it's really 
I mean, we the the tragic loss of Jamal Khashoggi is bad enough. It's a, it it's horrific, and you know we send our our condolences to his family, his three kids, and his fiance, and you know to have to hear this about your your fiance and your father is just unimaginable. And then the broader implication of what it says about this administration, this president giving cover and a license to kill to dictators, it's a travesty. Yeah, and as we said earlier, they will find few people, and they already did, uh, to, throw, to, to throw under the bus. Well, they already under the identified Meher Abdelaziz Mutrib. Definitely this guy. It's not under the bus. It's under the guillotine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, so they they are. That's why they started to concoct uh, the rogue killers. Uh, this is what uh, Donald Trump rogue meaning. You have 15 people flying in two Saudi private planes, going inside a consulate, killing a dissident without the knowledge of the king right. or the crown prince. Okay. Everybody take a deep breath. We covered, I mean, basically, Jamal, we've talked nonstop for 50 minutes, and we have to take a deep breath, pause, and also talk about something that's happening locally. Each year around this time, the Arab Film Festival has its annual film festival. There's some really great films out there. You have to check out the website, arabfilmfestival.org. But tonight in Oakland at the New Parkway Theater in Oakland tonight, there are two amazing films that are going to be shown, Sufra, and let me just get to the second film. Oh, and there's going to be a showing of Arab Classics, which is an evening with Um Kalthum showcasing Aswat. So, so what is the full uh, program? The full program is at ArabFilmFestival.org. They're going to be in Oakland this weekend, tonight at the Park Parkway Theater, it's going to be some great films, some music, and some tributes to Arab film. I mean, I, I feel almost weird talking about this after what we just talked about, Jamal. But, you know, we, we have to support our art. We have to support. And filmmakers. We, we still have to support them. And uh, we want you all to send us your comments to ArabTalk at KPOO.com. Follow us on Twitter, ArabTalk. Follow us on Facebook, which is Jamal Dijani 2, and uh, SoundCloud, Arab Talk Radio, right? Well, actually, our website, ArabTalkRadio.com. And re- I forgot you, about when, that. When you can download all, all of our, our shows, right? All of our shows. And I have to say that next week. No show. No show. We will be taking the week off. And, and we'll co- see you in two weeks. That's right. Okay. See you, ne- see you in two weeks.